Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Ian. Bit of a different show today. We've got an interview with one of my very favorite contemporary artists, both as the frontman of Parquet Courts and as a solo musician. It's A Savage, who has a great new record out now on Rough Trade Records, several songs about fire, a real three-star record, if I've heard one this year. Sav was kind enough to lend me an hour of his time recently to talk about all sorts of shit, actually. The new record, the old record, Parquet Courts, David Berman, New York City, Greek Blues, and of course, Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan. The man is just as thoughtful in an interview as he is on his records, and he doesn't need me to pump him up anymore. You all know Parquet Courts, and you better know his solo material. It's some of the very best shit going out there today. So without any further ado, here's Seth. I look, play stranger, just to match you be in the mirror. Someone's crying with the same eyes as me. I studied his faces, he spat in the sink, watched the foam that I saw you and uh, I saw you and Kate uh, on your tour last fall. I caught the Big Sur date, um, which was oh um, nice. It was amazing. That was that was great. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was really fun. That little like nook that they have there at the Henry Miller Library, just on that bend, is you know that's amazing. I've seen a couple shows there. It's like as good as it gets. The big tall trees and ocean in the background. Yeah, I'd, I'd wanted to play there for for a long time, and so it was I was really happy to finally get the chance to. I'd, I'd heard about it for years. It's it's excellent. That was your first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Hell time. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of the songs you played there, you were just doing literally just you and a guitar up there on stage before Kate. Uh, most of that came from Falling Dawn, uh, if I remember correctly, but I'm pretty sure a couple of these new songs were there too. Like, I'm almost positive listening to it now, Hurtin' or Healed, you played. Were you, yeah. like, actively in the process of, like, drafting these songs and kind of figuring them out at that time? Yeah, that's definitely what that, like, run of shows was about, was just me working out new stuff and, like, working out lyrics and... uh it was like, you know, I mean, I was opening up for Kate and so it like felt really kind of low stakes. Like, you know, the fact that people weren't there to see me was really comforting, you know, that I was just the guy that went on before her. And so it just kind of gave a certain freedom that you don't have when there's expectation, especially like, you know, with a band like Parquet Courts where people know the songs real well and uh people like you know have songs that they want to hear like you know i i I was doing merch every night in the tour and like most people hadn't heard of me so it was like really like a good chance to just kind of work on new stuff hell yeah so it like takes some of the pressure off pressure that you might feel in a different context or like a parquet courts show or yeah and so and so you know if nobody knows what the lyrics are then i can like try out all sorts of different lyrics and it's to them it's just okay that's the song when you're working as a solo artist versus like when you work together with uh the rest of the crew in parquet courts do you feel like a different kind of um obligation or like sense of responsibility to the people that are like 
that you're working with or that are coming to see you or, you know, like buying your material? Is that like a totally different, I guess, is that why you kind of are doing like a twin track solo and band thing at this point? Um, okay, where do I start with that? So, I mean, I guess I always feel an obligation or a sense of duty as a performer to, you know, give my best to uh, to an audience. And I guess, uh, I guess in this way, I was doing that in order to give my future best for a record, you know, like in order to just like kind of feel around uh, these songs and where they could go. Uh, and also in a way to sort of kind of familiarize uh, Kate with them as well as Dylan and Ewan who played drums and sax on the record who are in Kate's band. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's different than, parking courts in ways that i can't like exactly articulate but it just it feels different to me and i know when something is for me or when it's for the band and so that's just like a natural like when when something pops up in your head you you can kind of just like you can sense it like that's a that's a you thing that's a band thing or even like a visual art kind of thing because you're a very accomplished visual artist as well yeah 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 uh it just uh, and it helps when I'm working on when I have an idea of what the other thing is going to be, you know, um, like uh, I'm already thinking about like an, a new Parquet Courts record right now. And it's, you know, it, very different than several songs about fire. Sure. Yeah. Several songs about fire. Uh, great record. Uh, uh, as I Thanks, said man. earlier, uh, everyone out there, uh, go go cop now. Uh, by the time this runs, it'll be out in record stores across the nation. Um, a lot of the songs on there seem more actively like attuned to economic reality than your typical, uh, you know, I'll use the, the phrase indie rock in quotation marks here, you know, acknowledging that that's a very imperf- imperfect and, and, uh, you know, uh, lacking descriptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, but just as <laughs> shorthand, um, uh, what is it, and this is maybe, you know, a, a too complicated of a question to, to expected to come up with a amazing answer right on the spot but i'll ask it anyways like what is it what is it like to be making a living like you know uh, earning money and paying bills as an artist under like these current economic conditions uh yeah i mean difficult <laughs> um <laughs> and uh you know it's uh i have friends who work straight jobs uh who you know get paid you know a lot of money in sure. new york uh you know but they work through the weekends. They're always on like email, which is just diabolical to me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they, you know, they, they don't really want for a lot. They, you know, have bought apartments and, uh, you know, money is not really a concern for them. But um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of them are just miserable. And, um, mm. I think about money all the time because, um, you know, like, a cause, cause I mean, being an artist on my level, it is a, it is a working class position sure. and maybe that's not a reality that people see it as, but I guarantee, you know, people listening that if they, you know, were in that position, then they would see it that way because it just, it just very much is, you know, totally. Uh, there's a, there's a pretty big gap between, you know, what I do and, um, you know, what maybe like a top 40 artist does. Uh, and I think that the, 
like the economic realities of that aren't necessarily visible. And they're, they're even probably, <laughs> they would even probably surprise people because it's, you know, maybe what I do or artists like me do is a fairly high visibility thing. And people seem to associate that with, you know, with a different economic reality. Right. Um, but I mean, especially, you know, especially living in New York, which is one of the hardest places to uh, get by in whatever industry you're in, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a defining thing of what makes a New York artist a New York artist, because it kind of gives you this, uh, uh, this sort of drive to, you know, survive, basically, mm. in this city that is very attractive to artists, but very cold to artists as well. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you know, I've always just written about my kind of life and experience and that's what i can speak to and so uh i guess that's why i guess that's why this comes up uh in the record because just like any other working person i uh, i have debt and i have uh uh you know bills that need to be paid that just up and you know, i'm you know just kind of keep my head above water and i you know i do i do other things i do Besides being a musician, you know, I, I, I sell my art. Yeah. So like, you know, hustling, putting, putting different pieces together from different, you know, realms, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to complain or make it sound really dire because the point that I was going to make is that, uh, you know, a lot of the people that friends of mine that have like straight jobs that I talk about, they envy like the flexibility of what I do. And there are perks like traveling. Sure. And, uh, and me doing what I love. And that's really what it comes down to is like, I am an artist and I am going to do what I do no matter what. I mean, I, I didn't start making music with the expectation of ever having a career out of it. And I've, uh, I've, I've got one more or less. And it feels, uh, I, I feel really fortunate to be able to say that I, I, I love what I do. I mean, there are parts of it that can be tedious, but I love being an artist and I would be doing it no matter what regardless of any sort of uh, financial remuneration or like thereof. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, sure. It's just, it's just what I do. It's just what I feel driven to do from, you know, from the moment I wake up really. Hell yeah. And I mean, you can, you can hear it in the records. Um, I can certainly. Um, yeah. One of my, one of my like best buddies and I always kind of have that same conversation. Like the, it feels like time and money, you know, are kind of two, two opposite ends of a continuum. You know, the more time you have often, the less money you have, the more money you have, the less time. You have. And so like trying to seek out that perfect balance, like it, it's, it's something you can almost never kind of get to. Cause anytime you tip too far in one direction, you start feeling kind of the lack of the other one. It's uh it's kind of the seesaw of modern life. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I, I, I really don't want, you know, to put off the message that I'm, you know, ungrateful about it, you know, but it just, you know, it is my, it is my reality. And therefore I feel, you know, like, uh, it's something that I can write about, especially if it's something that, you know, has me down or something that I need to like work through, which often it is. Sure. Um, another, you know, subject of yours that's on this record on every record basically. And like you just kind of talked about a little bit, New York itself uh, you know, we talk a lot about Lou Reed on this uh, on this program. Who I'm uh, sure you're aware is uh, <laughs> I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I've heard he's, of him. He's uh, he, he's a relatively big name. Pretty interested in uh, in old New York City. Um, but you, at least reading some of like the the one sheet stuff that came with this, it sounds like you 
A, like recorded this record out of New York and B, like have actually just left New York in, in general? Uh, yeah, that, that both those things are true. Um, both those things are are separate, but uh, but true. I yeah, I recorded the record in Bristol sure. with John Parrish, uh, and I uh, and I have uh, I have since left uh, New York, and at, at the moment, I'm living in France. France, wow, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's long ways away. Um, what uh, I mean, it, it, obviously, <laughs> leaving New York City and moving uh, to another country. Uh, I'm sure you've done that for any number of reasons, many of which are uh, very likely personal. Uh, but to the extent that you want to uh, explain why you split New York, I guess why, like why, why now? You know, what kind of drove you in that direction? Well, healthcare—that's sure. a huge one. <laughs> sure, that's that's a that's a that's a really big one for me. And I mean, without getting into details, it's just. Um, kind of a necessity for me sure uh but uh but also i think just uh needing needing a leap of faith in my life which Mm -hmm. i I, you know my my life has kind of been uh actuated with these leaps of faith that i've taken uh that kind of ended up being these gambles that paid off uh and i've just kind of felt like i was due for another Moving to New York was one of them. Uh, leaving my job in New York to focus on being in Parquet Courts was another, and so I just, I just kind of felt like I was due. And um, you know, it was one of those situations where I'd lived in the same uh, rent-protected building for twelve years, and uh, I started to look at uh, prices of apartments in New York City. And uh, imagined, uh, you know, kind of what my life would be like, uh, paying like so much more rent than I would have been. Sure. And just thinking about uh, how, you know, America has kind of, you know, become this like place where like extreme violence has become so normalized uh, uh, and uh, fear about Trump, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and uh so it's it's just kind of all these it's all these things that sort of inform a decision and it wasn't like a it was something i had been thinking about for a long time uh it wasn't uh it wasn't a rash one uh and so so i just decided to see if i could see if i could do it and i'm still in that process of trying to make it work so are you digging it yeah yeah it, it, it agrees with me so far cool you speak french uh, I'm getting better. I, I I feel like I'm really good at it until I actually talk to a French person, and <laughs> and at which point I'm I'm quickly put in my place. But I mean, I'm I'm studying. I'm learning every day. Yeah, well, you know, nothing uh, nothing like actually just living in France and speaking to French people to teach you how to speak French. That's uh, that's going to be a lot better than Duolingo is ever going to do for you. It, that's that's true. Uh, having to think on your toes is kind of the most important part. Yeah, the um, I, I you know studied Spanish and you know spent time in Spain and Mexico and stuff. And like uh, when when you read it, when you have a sec to like digest the language on the page, it you know you feel I feel more confident. And, and then like once you get put on the spot and you're actually in a conversation where you're expected to understand and respond, it's that's a different oh, that's a different yeah, ball yeah, game. 
it's it's totally different. I, I've become pretty comfortable with writing in it because I've been like keeping a diary in it. Um, but and so uh, so I'll do that and I'll I'll like read it back to myself and then uh, I've even been like trying to write some really kind of rudimentary songs in it. And so there'll be times when you know I'll be very confident in it, but then a minute later someone will ask me what time it is and i'll have to be like you know come on you know I, <laughs> i'll be caught off guard uh well from what i understand the french are uh, you know pretty like understanding and and forgiving people uh when uh, they're they're trying to speak with americans learning their language uh, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> depends on which one you get To a flower, feeding dogs and losing hours, making noise while no one listens, cleaning brushes in the sink, then writing cobbles in the classics, wearing nothing made of plastics at the seaside, cleaning shellfish, reading more and speaking less English. When when did you when did you move to New York? Uh, two thousand nine. Two thousand nine, and you you have was did you have you jumped over to France like just this year or last year? This year. This year. So that's what yeah. 12, 13 years, fourteen years. Yeah. How would you how would you characterize New York in two thousand nine versus New York in uh, uh, upon your arrival versus New York upon your departure? Well, I mean, I guess you have to just start by characterizing new york writ large and that it's a place that is just in a constant state of change mm. and that's why i think that you know anybody who tries to anybody who tries to you know be nostalgic about some older version of it it's just so pointless because sure. you know it's never going to go back to this idea that you have of it it's just always changing and it doesn't care about your nostalgia at all. And it doesn't wait for anybody. I mean, it is kind of a cruel place, but you know, uh, a lot of times we're attracted to cruel things, cruel people, cruel places. Uh, it, it just, it has no patience for you. And so that's, uh, that's just a part that you have to, um, that you have to accept. So yeah, understanding that, um, in 2009, it was very different uh than it is now um and uh i you know by the time i got there of course like you know i'd heard all the jaded things that everybody hears when they move there oh you dismissed it oh it's over sure uh, new york's done like uh, it was cool but now it's kind of thing <laughs> um and i was like oh damn i missed it shit well i might as well stay but like uh you know th there was a there was a lot of stuff that was around then that isn't around now that I miss a lot. Yeah. Um, especially like places for, for musicians and artists uh, like in the, in the neighborhood of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which now is essentially a mall. Basically yeah. it's, like an, it's like an outdoor shopping mall. Um, it was a, I mean, people ragged on it then, you know, because it had been like, you know, oh, it's over. It's that the hipsters have taken over. But like looking back on it now, I guess there's a lot of things that were really cool about it. And one of those things is that at any given night, there were like 
10 different DIY venues that you sure. could hop around and go see something. And um, there's just not much of those anywhere anymore. There's a, there's a few. Um, after the pandemic, I mean, a lot of the ones that had been going hadn't reopened. That, that really... Um, that really hurt a lot but i mean just in general it just doesn't seem feasible for you know say a young kid wants to open up like take take rent out on like a warehouse space or a house right uh it just doesn't seem feasible now with rent the way it is in new york to for someone to be able to do that and uh it's uh yeah it's 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 kind of a bummer, but also it seems to me that um, I guess for for people that are getting into like uh, I don't know alternative culture or something, it seems like that sort of thing is kind of moving online in a way too. That that sort of socialization. Totally. Uh, I mean, I loved it because when I moved to the city and I didn't have like a ton of friends, I could just go to you know, a place like uh, Market Hotel, which is still around, actually, mm-hmm. uh, or Death by Audio or Monster Island Basement or something, you know, and sure. just maybe have like a 10 minute conversation with someone that I, you know, just met or had seen around before, you know, and it was just like a way, an important part of like socializing here uh, in the city and, uh, and meeting, you know, new people. It's that's how I met so many of my friends. It's how uh, it's that kind of world that Parquet Courts started in and cut our teeth in. So I do, I do miss that, and I hope that uh, you know, I hope that people find a way to make more spaces like that in the city, or else, like you know, or else New York's just going to have a massive problem because mm-hmm. you can't be this city that boasts itself on you know being having so much art in it and not be supportive of new art and new people and giving people space to make that you know sure we talked about that a little bit on on the the show before the concept of like a physical scene you know it, it feels like a a physical scene is is almost kind of impossible to sustain at this point at least in places like new york or like Los Angeles, where I grew up, and, you know, same kind of era, 2010-ish into the, you know, uh, 2012, 13, like, there was a real kind of crew of, like, bands and venues and people that just, like, were always out, and you were in that kind of spot, and um, and at this point, just, yeah, like, the nature of urban living and the, 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 the way that the economic machinery that underlies these places has churned forward like that, that doesn't really feel sustainable. Uh, but at the same time, like these online, you know, kind of communities are, are kind of taking that place. That's a different kind of thing. And who's to say whether that's like better or worse, you know, it's, it's, that's probably the wrong way to look at it in the first place, but um, it does feel more and more to me, like it's, you know, online community building is taking the place of like physical real world community building, even within these like small, you know, kind of uh, artistically driven music kind of scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm to say that it's better. I think, I think <laughs> people face to face is just way better in general. And, and, and uh, but yeah, I guess time's going to tell. Yeah. 
Do you feel like if you had shown up in uh, 2023 New York instead of 2009 New York, you would have settled down there for 14 years the way you did? Or like, oh, could, I guess I mean, you couldn't have even been able to do that, right? At least in the way yeah, that you I did. Don't, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, having the amount of, I mean, as a, as a 22 year old, uh, if I did it now, like, yeah, maybe not, you know, maybe I, it may be, I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but then again, I would have had a completely different psyche right? if I was a 22 year old now and had, you know, been born in the year, uh, 2001 (laughs) like i mean yeah like my psyche would be completely different and i would have grown up you know with social media and uh i would have grown up uh as they say very online which i did not so uh i I mean maybe some things that don't appeal to me about the city now like would have uh would have appealed to a someone who was born in that year i don't i don't know it's it's really hard to say yeah man yeah. well i mean like you said uh, at the beginning of that whole line of questioning right like it just changes the defining characteristic so it's it's kind of just uh it's gonna happen regardless um i want to talk a little bit about uh the music if uh if you got some bandwidth to spare on that are you much of a like silver jews like david berman uh guy yeah, I'm a fan, sure. Especially, I mean, uh, you know, I I was born in Denton, Texas, uh, but I I went to like junior high and high school in Dallas, um, and which is where which is where he's from. Um, sure. Although, I mean, he he went to a very he went to very uh, not that we're the same age, but he was he experienced a different Dallas than I did. He went to the Green Hill School, which is a kind of very Tony. Uh, private school that he yes. matriculated out of uh vastly different than my education experience there but i do have like i mean there's not many like not many people like that that come out of uh that come out of dallas right uh so yeah a, a bit of pride but also yeah you know an amazing an amazing poet uh a very gifted uh singer for sure much respect yeah, one one of the greats. Um, that's fun. I didn't know about the uh, the private school thing there, but that makes sense because he his dad is some like Richard Richard Berman. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the uh, Republican like fucking political operative guy. A, a lot uh, like a yeah a hardcore hardcore lobbyist for the worst of the worst. Man, that's talk about fucking father and son uh, Shakespearean. Uh, yeah, straight up. <laughs> Um, anyways, I, I, I bring him up because, um, you know, I'm huge, you know, he's one of my all time, uh, uh, heroes really, uh, and inspirations. Um, when he did the, uh, the Purple Mountains record, you know, a couple of years ago, um, which feels like it is from another dimension at this point, but that's, you know, that's another thing. Um, he, he gave a, a couple of interviews and there was, there was one in particular where he like, he, he said something along the lines of, I'm not quoting him direct, but he, he, he felt like he was really urgently interested in, in needing to mean and like be understood. And, and, and you see that kind of on the purple mountains record, you know, he he kind of strips out a lot of the, you know, signature David Berman, fantastic poetic phrases um, that you get across the silver Jews records. The purple mountains record is beautiful. Maybe my favorite record that he ever put, put together. Um, And, uh, and just as poetic as anything else that he ever did, but it's, it's kind of like a, uh, simpler, you know, easier to understand, built from simpler and easier to understand building blocks just at a language level. Um, I kind of, I kind of feel 
Like I see something similar in several songs about fire, um, at least compared to, you know, where you were at, like on Thawing Dawn or, or certainly earlier on like a parquet courts record, like sunbathing animal. Yeah. Um, I suppose so. I mean, I, uh, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a, I wasn't thinking about that. It wasn't sure. a conscious thing. I was just, you know, I was just writing, uh, the way I write. I mean, I guess my writing has evolved, but you know, a lot of times I'm just like too in it. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, makes perfect sense. I was just going back to, you know, all of the other parquet courts records that, uh, I've, know every fucking uh, uh, second in and out at this point and just kind of amazed at like some of the uh like sunbathing animal the song you know just how wild the the lyric is to say nothing of the way that sounds um and then compare that against something like you know writing cobbles on the um uh on the new record which is like such a beautiful and simple just like slice of life kind of uh, glimpse into what seems like you know your your experience there over in uh, in Bristol? Yeah, I mean it's it's very uh, it's very different, isn't it? Like <laughs> those, two, those two songs that you <laughs> that's mentioned. about as I mean, far different as uh, as you're going to get yeah. in your in your shit. Yeah, I mean you know writing cobbles, which you mentioned, is uh, I mean yeah, that is probably the most direct and uh, straightforward uh, thing on the record, and it's kind of got the quality of like a like a nursery rhyme nursery rhyme totally almost, you know and so uh and so it's it's different than uh uh it's different than the rest of songs in the record in that aspect but also just like sunbathing animal was written by like a young man who like you know desperately had something to say and like uh <laughs> needed to say it as if like his life depended on it almost you know sure well and you know it it fucking sounds like it still to this day I love that song. Yeah, it's maybe my uh, you know favorite park. Well, I just, it's they're all my favorite parquet court songs, but that one is just uh, st- stenciled on my soul. Every time that we ever got asked to play on a TV show, you know, they always tell you what song you're going to play, and I would tell our agent like, "Go back and offer sunbathing animals," <laughs> and it always got shut down. Uh, I'm shocked at the uh, you know the 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 Jimmy Kimmel or uh, the Jimmy Fat, I don't know what late night shows you guys have all played, but uh, the, <laughs> those audiences probably are not uh, psyched on, on that kind of sound necessarily. Oh, I mean, we've definitely played for audiences who weren't psyched on what we were doing. That wasn't <laughs> the issue, but uh, uh, I think there's an alternate universe where there was some re- truly great television. My new green coat, I think, is like to me like the emotional like heart of of the record. Um, yeah, it's this. Uh, you know, it's the penultimate track. It's a ten song record. I should know. I love a ten song record. Just uh, I haven't. I don't know what it's going to be like when when you actually get the record. But I'm guessing it's five on side A, five on side B. That's, that's what you a record got it, should man. be. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and it's just like right in that sweet spot, like forty. 42 minutes something like that anyways that's all you know stupid uh uh, uh stat counting bullshit um but my new green colt like second to last song on the record and it um uh, yeah like i was saying it feels like the kind of the heart of what you're 
of of where this whole thing lives. Um, it's one of the longest songs, and I think you know one of the more dramatic ones. You know the way it, it sort of starts, you know, pretty quiet and and slow, and then builds, you know, instrumentally and musically. Um, mm. And then uh, and then it, ra- <laughs> it wraps up on a, Ren and, a reference of Ren and Stempy toys. <laughs> Um, yeah. on a record that also alludes to James Joyce and Greek mythology. Um, I, I guess I'm just like, um, I, the, the, I'm, I'm, I have to imagine that's pulled straight out of your, out of your fucking life, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I think that there's something. It's funny because, you know, I've played that song a few times and people often will like chuckle at that line. Um, but I find that line quite sad because there's there's something that I think is really sad about uh, childhood toys, I find them to be really sad, and I, yeah. I still have I, I still have some of them, my Ren Stimpy toys. Um, but it just you know, it kind of just is. It represents the passing of time, and that song is kind of uh, it's about taking inventory of like uh, you know my entire life really, sure. um, and so that would be that would be an early one. But I mean that was uh, I I can remember the. I guess it would be a very early memory would, would be uh, watching the premiere on television of Ren and Stimpy. Like the first day it aired, they were, they were, I mean, they were, remember they were, they were promoting the hell out of it on Nickelodeon. And then sure. I, I was forever changed. And then just from that <laughs> point on, I needed to have all things Ren and Stimpy. And it became a, it became a goal just to, if it was Ren and Stimpy, I had to, I had to have it or I mean, you know, I never got it all, not even close, but I, I wanted it. And uh, it was a, yeah, it was, it was the first thing I was probably truly obsessed with. And that's, that's, that kind of began a life with several obsessions. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, everyone's got something similar to, uh, to that. I've got like, you know, I was huge on Power Rangers. I think that was, you know, around the same time. And I had all these like Power mm-hmm. Rangers figurines and the costumes and like bedspreads and stuff like that. And I don't know what became of any of that shit, but that is like, when I think about my childhood, that's what I, that that's just like the kind of the sense memory that pops into my head. It's not even like, you know, the way my house looked or smelled or like what I would eat at dinner. It's just like the red ranger or the blue. It's like feels kind of gross thinking that like, that's what, that's what my brain is filled up with from the most formative years of my life. But I guess that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, it was just, that was, uh, that was, that was you, you know, Uh, I, yeah. So the the song kind of goes from talking about, you know, those and the, uh, mentions the first possession that i ever had and uh it goes uh it goes up to the the green coat which is actually uh kate Lebon who, who plays piano on the record and a bit of bass uh she's the one who gave me that coat oh wow and uh so it's a it's kind of a an inventory of uh of what to what to keep what what, what do i take with me into the next part of my life and what what do i leave behind Absolutely. Yeah. Memory. Uh, there's, there's a fantastic, I'm not going to sit here and quote your lyrics at you by, by any means. No, go ahead. <laughs> that memories like objects and people need cleaning line. That is really that like, as soon as I heard that, that kind of just wedged itself in my brain. That's like a fantastic way of thinking about things that like totally makes sense, but I'd never, I never kind of thought about it from that angle. Hey, thanks handsome. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the thing about, um, you know, like where you're at, 
now, right, on on this record, like you've been doing this, and we kind of talked about this earlier uh, a little bit, um, but want to come back to it, because it is like, I mean, you've been doing this professionally for like 15, 15 years at this point. The first Ferguson Geronimo record came out back in like 2008, right, 2009? Yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't describe that as professional, really. Right. I mean, it, yeah. Parquet courts, obviously, and then the, what you've done since then is is at a different kind of um, a different kind. I guess of, you can really start saying that like 2013 and after. So yeah, about ten years. Yeah, sure. Um, in any case, you know, Towns Van Zant, which is one of the uh, influences that's called out on the one sheet here. Um, he, like he put basically his entire not everything, but like most of his. Uh, uh, work out in like a 10 year period like you know 68 to 78 um how do you like how do you conceive of this bot like that that's the amount of time that you just quoted there right 2013 to today 2023 and it seems like you're kind of just like like you know the the future is wide open and endless you said it yourself like this is just what you do you'd be doing it regardless of what kind of you know uh, uh, life you lead or economic you know regime you live under? You know where do you where do you think of yourself at in terms of like your work into the future at this point? I mean, I certainly hope that my you know I, I definitely hope my best years aren't behind me for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I I mean, I think that you know a, a lot of times writers, musicians, artists, whatever they they get more interesting with age. Um, and uh not always but uh, but but oftentimes if they you know if they if they keep at it and uh i i mean I, I just i i can't really imagine a point where i'm not you know making things be it you know visual art or songs or writing or something like that like i, I just think i'll always be doing it and if i'm in a fortunate enough position where people still find it you know, relevant and care about it and uh, are still interested in that, then that's great. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I think I'll always, I'll, I'll always be putting things out there because it's just, it's just like how I know how to connect to people and, sure. uh, and the world around me. And uh, it's just, the, it's my, I mean, it's the, it's the, form of communication that i'm best at you know mm, mm. uh I, I don't think that people are going to be listening to this podcast interview for like years to come but they might be <laughs> listening to some of my music for years to come you know because i that's just like where i am you know my best and where i am like uh where i'm most myself where i can be myself in like the kind of the, the purest way you know absolutely yeah i mean the uh the whole conceit of doing this uh this show at the beginning was to like look at bob dylan's shit and just trace his you know output from beginning to end and you know he's he's here in in 2023 going back out on tour as an 82 year old man um and with just you know some some of his greatest ever songs just released you know in the last couple years like that's that's what it's all about and and feels like you know Obviously, uh, not everyone's going to be <laughs> Bob Dylan, uh, but that is also, you know, kind of what drives people like Lou Reed or John Cale, who, who we also talk about a lot here. Just these people who are able to kind of stick with it over time and regardless of any ups or downs they hit in their career or how out of step with like the mainstream musical culture they may appear, just continuing to keep at it, you know, through hell or high water 
and coming out just ultimately, you know, victorious on the other end, just through sheer kind of um, sticking with it, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when I write my 16 minute ode to Joe Biden or whatever, <laughs> I hope that uh, I hope that people find it compelling. Oh, man. Just now you don't don't threaten, <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> um, uh, what kind of what, what kind of music do you find yourself listening to these days? New music, old music, uh, you know, tons of people, a few people or just like, you know, kind of whatever comes across your plate. Oh, man. Uh a lot of different shit. I mean, uh, I mean, I like I, I, my relation to pop music is I typically don't like it when it's on the radio, mm. but there's something happens, you know, when it's aged a bit, where I'll get into I'll get into something, you know. Um, I mean that that I, I definitely you know I, I was into what was on the radio when I was uh, uh, when I was younger, but um, uh, I don't. I, I can't relate to most like pop stuff that's going on now for some reason. I don't know if that just because it hasn't aged as much yet or what, but mm. um, I've been listening to a lot of Greek music. That's, that's Greek like music. a rabbitic, yeah, like rabbitico, like kind of like Greek blues. Um, that's, I, I've been really into that lately. Um, wow. And I um, mean, yeah, there's just like some great harmonies in that music uh, and kind of, uh, great semitones because it, it kind of uses the uh i'm not sure what what scale or what yeah I'm, I, I i can't really talk about like what scale it's in but there are like semitones in it that like aren't as prevalent in western music and i i think it's really interesting when you like harmonize with those semitones and 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 it's just like really like uh really like kind of cathartic kind of yeah like like, like blues you know like really sure kind of kind of mournful music uh uh and uh I, I can't understand the language you know but uh don't need I, to. I, I, I can i can feel it yeah yeah that's that's uh that's the beauty of music as opposed to almost any other art form is that if you don't understand what they're saying in it doesn't matter one fucking bit uh you know usually uh or you know sometimes i should say you're going to get more out of it if you're also understanding the lyrics in many cases but you can still dig it on a uh, visceral emotional level you can hear it in the voice right yeah um and, and besides that I, I you know i only i only brought like a hundred of my records with me uh or that's all i have with me now and there's still the sea. Like, there, yeah there's still like a few thousand uh in new york that i need to find how to bring over but um <laughs> it's kind of cool because i'm just kind of limited to this you know smaller shelf of records and uh, i kind of i kind of like it uh because uh at a certain point i found my like you know when i was uh i think we all kind of did this was so just would just listen to things just listen to records over and over you know yes. and i found myself doing that less uh and probably you know has to do with like youtube and spotify being these things where just like everything's out there so you don't have to repeat things but i think i i've been like i've just been listening to some uh records on repeat uh i've been listening to the first uh uh primal scream record sonic flower groove on repeat sure. uh recently uh such a great record um but I, but it, it's yeah, it's it's kind of like a reintroducing myself to like a lost ritual, 
of just only having a set amount of things you know uh totally. when i was a when i was a kid maybe at any given time i had like 25 cds you know and that was like what i had you know, to listen yes. to that's what there was uh and uh i you know obviously i love i love having more than 25 pieces of music that's cool but <laughs> i also just kind of like having to work with you know what you have like having to read the books that are on your shelf you know Absolutely. Yeah. Paralysis of choice, you know, it, uh, when, when you uh, actually just kind of limit yourself uh, uh, with what you're able to select from, that makes it a lot easier, I think, in many cases to just like you got you got your records, you're going to put one on and that's, you know, you're going to dig it. It's easy as that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Miss the days of the, uh, you know, the CD changer in the car. It was just like whatever four CDs were in your glove compartment. Um, and, uh, oh, you know, yeah. maybe three of them would play because one of them was like scratched to shit and breaking. Or like one of them's just jammed in there and you're just stuck with yeah, it. And that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> you hope uh, you hope you get the uh, you, the the right one. I, we we did a, a episode about uh, Lou Reed's magic and loss uh recently from 92 and uh the guy we were talking to like that was the, that was the record that was stuck in his cd this like 65 minute meditation on like cancer and death and that was the only thing that he could ever listen to which uh, yeah but once you, you get know. once you get to the 500th listen it bangs sure absolutely <laughs> it's a great record it's just uh you know when you get in and you, you you turn on the ignition that's maybe not always what you want to uh what you want to hear um, but it's, so it sounds like you're, you know, kind of, uh, finding stuff in the, in the back catalog that you've always dug, but also, you know, kind of expanding a taste outward. It's, I'm, I'm guessing that the Greek blues music is something that you've come to more recently as opposed to something that has been with you throughout your life. No, that's a, that's a more recent thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's an admirable, uh, admirable thing to be able to still go out and, you know, find new, totally new. And like, even in that case, you know, mostly unrelated to, I would, I would assume, you know, not having heard it myself, uh, a lot of what you might have experience with, uh, you know, listening to before, uh, you know, it's, it, it's easy to get kind of set in your ways, um, as, uh, as you age and just kind of burrow into what has always been there with you to uh, and, you know, kind of put on horse blinders to all the other new shit that's out there, most of which is just that, it's shit, but you know, every now and then you're going to find uh, a very rich new vein like uh, like that to tap. I did have one other, like, just sort of weird question, because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a music maker myself, and, and so I don't have an actual knowledgeable point to speak from on this, but... To me, it feels like there's this kind of dichotomy, push and pull between like the more you lean into older established styles and influences, the more you're able to uh, push forward and break new ground as a writer and, you know, a depictor of reality. Um, does that does that seem like it holds any credence to you or am I just like completely, this is a false binary that I've set up? We, we kind of help people find a path towards 
their own emotions or that's i mean that's what i do as a listener mm-hmm. of music is uh you know you put on you put on songs for different moods for when you're uh for when you're feeling joy for when you're feeling pain you know uh, you're drawn to sad songs and and these words the, we, we kind of take them in and they kind of are we use them as a map to find our way to our own emotions and mm-hmm. So I guess that's, I mean, that's, I'm just, that's my relationship with it. And I, but I feel like I'm not alone in that. I think that's uh, because, you know, it, it would be weird if you listen to, you know, a song that was kind of like this exact verbatim thing of what you're going through emotionally. I think it's better that, uh, that it's, and it's, it's these kind of strange puzzle pieces that a songwriter gives you and allows you to put together the picture on your own. Sure. And relate it and relate it to yourself. So, yeah, I, 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 I think I understand what you're saying, and that that would be my experience with, um, with like that with, with meaning and emotion in songs. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. And you know, so much of what you've put out there has been uh, stuff for me that uh, I hope so. I mean, that's that's the idea. Fit into my own life however i can i hope i'm not coming off as too uh much of a uh uh grandstand uh, uh fanboy i don't know how the the press interviews for you typically go but this is no uh, you're not no not not at all uh uh that's not that's not the impression that i'm getting but i'm glad that you are a fan yeah uh even uh even monastic living you know i'm still trying to figure out what was going on there but i i i pledge to myself that i'm going to crack that one of these days it's all there. It's all. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's it a is all there. The, there's a there's a reason why the first song has lyrics. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, I remember just I remember putting that on the first time, and I was like, <laughs> I was grinning like an idiot when I realized what was going on. Great record. Great. It record. was interesting when we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 toured on that record. Did uh, you? Uh, yeah, we we did, and we we played the whole we the first like. Uh, part of the set was us playing that whole record jesus i must have missed because that was after human performance but before wide awake right it was before human performance that was it was before human performance okay yeah yeah um uh it came out i want to say november 2015 and human performance came out in the spring of 2016 yeah if i'm not mistaken which i could be but uh it was no it definitely was before because that was our first record on rough trade mm. which i thought was kind of cool that they chose that to be the first record that we released. <laughs> uh, uh if yeah, you're gonna great if, record one i'm yeah. still very proud of yeah fantastic love the cover art too that's uh some of my, you uh, do all your own cover art and uh it's all fantastic but the that is one of one of my favorites thanks yeah actually i made a for one one year when we were touring i made a i made a a knit sweater well i didn't make it someone else's labor made it but i i uh i designed i I had them made yeah i designed uh uh, these knit sweaters that had the had the uh the cleric the, the monk washing dishes on it and uh yeah, they they sold way better than the actual record did. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I complete. I, I I gotta I gotta see if I can dig one of those up on eBay or something. That's that's exactly what I want to be repping. Um, uh, yeah, they're floating around. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll see what's out there. Uh, well, thanks so much uh, for for joining, Sam. This was a great, uh, very rewarding conversation for me. Mm-hmm. Hope that it uh, was somewhat rewarding for you. I know uh, going through the press. 
roulette can be uh, a lot of uh, same thing over and over again. But uh, absolutely, very... and you you've got a very you've got a very soothing voice for broadcasting. I'll say that. Well, that's why I talk into the microphone <laughs> instead of <laughs> putting these words down on page. Um, last, just last, last question, just because. This, you know, the program here, you know, Bob Dylan, overwhelming uh, focus here. You got you got any just like favorite Bob Dylan cuts you can throw? Of course I do. Um, I'll say this. One of my favorite records that I own is the 45 of the Hurricane. Do you have that record? No, the 45 of Hurricane, no. Yeah, well, your, your reaction is, uh, uh, I, I can sense surprise in your reaction, which is fair enough because, uh, <laughs> because it's... It's one of the only records I have, maybe the only where it's split into two sides. So the it's the whole song on two sides of a 45. And so it's just half on one, half on the other, because it's like seven minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Uh, yeah, and then there's a picture of, in the on both sides of the cover, it's just a picture of the hurricane, and it's a great photo. Um, and that that's, uh, I, I think that that record is like, uh, it's it's such a cool example of how like someone like him could just be like okay I'm gonna write a like what is it like eight minute song something like that uh, and that's the single you know yeah and <laughs> side one track the, one <laughs> yeah yeah and the record company's just like all right well that's I guess we we're just gonna have to split it up into two sides on a forty five. <laughs> um, and I mean that it, that would definitely be one of my favorite Dylan songs, but it's definitely like my favorite Dylan record that I own, or just kind of like, um, uh, you know, example of the way that like, because uh, I just don't think I could ever convince a record company to do that, or like I don't know who could really, right. uh, you know, write an eight minute song and just be like, okay, this is the single, and uh, this is what we're going to send out to radio stations. Uh, and, uh, so like, you know, in theory, I don't know if it was ever done, but a DJ would have just had to like really quickly flipped it over or, um, I don't know, maybe they sent out a, maybe they, they two, sent out two copies and they just cr- yeah, crossfade from yeah, one yeah. to the other. They're, they just got to be really, really on the money with the timing. No, but that's, I mean, that's just like an amazing example of his talent for kind of like narrative storytelling, you know, for, absolutely for telling a story which is like a um uh, uh a really important you know musical tradition that uh you know was a musical tradition of so many uh types of music and one that i kind of want to keep going uh uh I, I i love it when when you can have a song like that that like uh, you know it's almost like a it's almost like a play or something Totally. Yeah, you can, it's, it's a very, it almost feels, it sounds like it reads like a screenplay almost. You can see like the stage directions and the actors and their parts and stuff. I'm, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right yeah. There with Absol- you. Absolutely. Anyway, it's an amazing object to own and I'm sure you could find it on Discogs for like five bucks or something. I got to find that. Yeah, I have never in my, in my life encountered the 45 that it just, it's one song and it just stops in the middle, side A, side B. But if anyone has done that, obviously it's fucking yeah. Bob Dylan. To be continued. You can take a little, you can take a little break in between, go get a snack and then come yeah. back to it. Uh, pour yourself a cup of coffee. Uh, thanks so much, Sab. This was fantastic. All right, Ian. Yeah, th- thanks for, thanks for chatting, man. It was great talking to you. This time. Huh? 
So thanks again to A. Savage for joining us here on Jokerman Podcast. Again, he's got a fantastic new record out now on Rough Trade Records. Several songs about fire available now in stores, online, wherever you play your music from. And he's headed out on tour two. He's got some Northeast dates this fall, some European dates in the new year, and then some West Coast US dates in spring 24. Check them out online. Just Google it. You know where to go. Jokerman. Say